And also, the kids can be excused to Sunday school. Oh, good morning. And welcome to Grace Church of the Bay Area. As you know, I've been preaching through Titus, through some of the characteristics of eldership, and we're going to take a little bit of a break on that today. And instead, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving. For Thanksgiving, thousands, maybe even millions of people will gather around the table. They'll be around their turkey, their ham, their green bean casserole, and list out the many things that they will be thankful for. Uh, Some of the traditional things that we hear about are, I'm thankful for my friends, I'm thankful for family, I'm thankful for my home, I'm thankful for world peace, uh, clothes, and interestingly, in small group, we were all very thankful for different types of water, like water in a pool, right, Leal? Or running water in a toilet, or running water in a bathtub. So, always appreciate the youth group in their insights. And some of the, one of the things that I do like to do during Thanksgiving is look at some of the things that the kids are thankful for, or some of the things that the parents are thankful for. And sometimes they do span on silly, and I want to share some of these things with you. A little girl says that I'm thankful for my dog and my brothers. When asked which do you like more, she quickly responded, my dog. <laughs> One little young man says, I'm thankful for sushi and garbanzo beans. Good combo. Another teenager, kind of odd, but another teenager says that I'm thankful for not flying United Airlines. They're the worst. <laughs> What's better? Always fly Delta. And I wonder parents work for. One mom during Thanksgiving is thankful for the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that I'm going to force my family to eat all week Because all the food in the refrigerator is for Thanksgiving, don't you dare touch any of it. Another dad says, I'm thankful for my kids who ask, when's dinner an hour after the Thanksgiving feast is served? Uh, And then another mom says, I'm thankful even after pleading with my child for over an hour to just try it and giving up when they only want to eat a bread roll. And then finally, one other mom says, I just love Thanksgiving. I can't wait to slave for hours over a meal my kids will rudely reject in front of my relatives who are judging my parenting. Sometimes, right? So anyways, these, of course, are in good fun. They are meant to be silly. But when we think about the idea of being thankful, the concept itself of thankfulness, it seems like such a simple concept to express. We either say thank you, we say I appreciate you, or maybe you give somebody a hug. But as we think deeper, and as we think more critically, as we care about every word that comes out of our mouths, let us ask ourselves this Thanksgiving, what does being thankful actually mean? Now, if you think about it, it is easy to express, but it can be hard to describe what it is. Is being thankful having the right attitude? Is it having the right perspective? I'm so glad that I'm not homeless. I'm so thankful that I don't have to eat out of a dumpster. Is being thankful just not complaining about stuff? Is being thankful recognizing something? Like I've been able to work at this job for 35 years, or I have kids who are healthy, or I have enough money. Is it a reflection maybe of the pain 
that I've avoided, the difficulty I've had to face, or the hardship maybe I've, I've gotten to avoid? What does it mean to be thankful? And why I ask this question and why I want us to think about this is because when you do not have clarity in this area and you do not have the proper biblical perspective in what biblical thankfulness is, then we take what the world defines as being thankful, we take our own opinion of what we think thankfulness is, and then we apply that to the Bible. So think about it. If the world teaches us and the world tells us that being thankful means that we just don't complain about stuff, then when the Bible tells us to be thankful, our perspective will be, well, then we just shouldn't complain about God. This is an accurate view. If the world tells us that being thankful means that we are grateful we're not in a particular situation, meaning I'm not homeless, or I don't have cancer, or I didn't just face death, Well, when the Bible tells us to be thankful, the only time we're going to be thankful is if we're not homeless, if we don't have cancer, if we are not facing death. Now, does this sound right? Does it sound correct? I don't think so, right? I think you'd all agree with me that if there is a biblical example, if there is a biblical definition or model of what it means to be thankful, then this is something that we can copy. This is something that we should do. Our passage today... I do believe, helps us in that endeavor and gives us a deeper understanding and a deeper meaning of what thankfulness is. There's so much more depth when we can say thankful and so much more meaning when we apply what the Bible says, and I believe as you are able to say it this Thanksgiving, both to your friends or your family or even your coworkers. So today our passage is Psalm 138, verses 1 through 3. And it helps give us clarity in terms of how the psalmist is specifically thankful to God. And through this example and how he shows his thankfulness to God, I believe provides an example for us in how we can be thankful to one another. And just a bit of background. This is a psalm of David. It's actually perfect because we've actually read a lot of psalms today, and so this is God just planned it so perfectly that we can talk about a Psalm of David in 138. But as a little bit of the background, <clears throat> you'll see in verses 1 through 8, this is the entire chapter, but we're only going through verses 1 through 3, that there is a movement of moods in the psalm. In verses 1 through 3, you will see that David cannot help himself. He cannot say enough good things about God. And then eventually it swells into a confident and a very loud attitude in verses 4 through 6, where the psalmist then moves outside of his own good and lovely experience with God. And then he wants to now share this with the nations. And he wants the nations, the people, to join him in praising God. And then finally, towards the last two verses, in this movement of Psalm 138, at the end, he has a little bit of a reality check. And he says, I will walk in the midst of trouble. And even as I walk in the midst of trouble, I will still stay faithful to our glorious God. So join me as I read verses 1 through 8. Our focus, of course, will be on verses 1 through 3. But I wanted to read the whole thing to give you context from the New American Standard Version. I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. 
I will bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. And here's verse 4. All the kings of the earth will give thanks to you, O Lord, when they have heard words of your mouth, and they will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of God, of the Lord. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch forth your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. Your loving kindness, O Lord, is everlasting. Do not for the sake the works of your hands. Today, Psalm 138, verses 1 through 3, I believe, give us three ways to express true thankfulness. Three ways to express true thankfulness to God and eventually in turn to other people. So three ways to express true thankfulness. And the first way is to give thanks genuinely. Give thanks genuinely. And we get this from verse 1 when it says, I will give you thanks with all of my heart. And David here is speaking directly to God in verse 1, promising to thank, promising to confess out loud, explaining how he is going to praise God. The Hebrew word here has a sense that he's going to make it public. All right? He's not just going to keep it inside of his heart. He's going to make it public. So he is giving thanks with all his heart, suggests that this is an interior type of thankfulness. My public praise comes from the bottom of my heart, with my whole heart. And the sentiment here is that he is going to hold nothing back when he praises God. So then our thankfulness needs to be similar. Our thankfulness must be born in the depths of our heart. But it also must be public. And I think what's striking here is that since he makes this public, there's an opposite understanding in that if you are keeping things a secret, if you are keeping things in your heart, this is where the enemy, this is where sin can thrive. This is where something in which God is not glorified. Spurgeon says we need a broken heart to mourn our own sins, but a whole heart to praise the Lord's perfections. Psalm 9.1 says that I will thank the Lord with all of my heart. So, the bottom line is the biblical writers understood that the heart was the focal point of all we do as humans. As God purposes in his heart, so he does. When we speak of the heart, we are not speaking specifically of the physical organ. There is an argument that the heart is the most vital organ in our body. It provides oxygen to each of our, every single one of our cells. But here, I wanted to kind of flesh it out more. Because when we talk about the heart, it's a little bit existential, right? It's just kind of a broad term. When here, when we talk about the heart, we are talking specifically about the origins of your thoughts, of your emotions, of your will, and your moral state. Paul describes in the New Testament that we ought to praise God with all that we are and all that we have. So I want you to think about how we use heart, the word heart, in our daily lives. And in fact, going through this, I realized heart is used quite a bit. When someone is emotional, what do we say? He wears his heart on his sleeve. 
when we are in love, we might say that this person is a heart throb, indicating this person makes your heart beat really fast, right? When we declare our love for someone, we might say, I give you my heart, or my heart is yours. Good line. Both of these, obviously all of these expressions express and indicate that we have a faithfulness and that we are involved or we want to be part of our whole being involved. The alternate is true. If we say that we're sad, what do we say? We're brokenhearted. If someone says that we're discouraged, we're disheartened or we're heavy-hearted. And I didn't know this, but at the other end of the spectrum, the heart is also used to show courage and confidence. So the English word for courage derives from the French and Latin, and out of it comes the heart. This is why you will hear when someone is very determined and they'll describe someone in a race, what do they say? He has a lot of heart. Exactly. Or when you want to encourage someone and you don't think that they're putting their best effort, you might say, put your heart into it. Give it your whole heart. In the same way, in all of these aspects as we describe the heart, we are commanded to thank the Lord with our whole heart. And the heart is the center of our spiritual and moral lives. It is recognized in the Bible that the heart is where the seat of sin can occur. That's out of Matthew 15, 19. But it is also the heart that is Christ's throne in the believer, out of Romans 10, verse 10. And it's not a surprise where we are instructed to guard our heart always with all vigilance. Okay, so anyways, what does this mean? The heart represents the emotional, the intellectual, the spiritual side of who we are. And what this is, is a reflection of hopefully the outer side of what we, what we show and what we show in our actions to other people. What is in our heart is reflective of how we act. And sometimes we're able to shield it for a little while, but the truth eventually does come out. So specifically, when you give thanks it should be done with emotion. Emotionally praising God is proper. I think that we come to a time period in which maybe emotion is almost too far shied away from. Some of the emotions that we have are happiness or joy or sadness. We need to be affected by what God says, and we need to be moved to a point beyond just saying thank you. We need to be able to have emotion in it. The best example that I could think of through all of this is, if maybe some of you have experienced it, where your life has flashed before your eyes. Maybe you have almost gotten hit by a car. Maybe you've almost drowned in a pool. But when your life flashes before your eyes, and as that car has passed you or you're in a situation in which you think that you were almost going to die, you think about the people who would have been affected, maybe what could have been, and you take that deep, slow, and it usually goes in slow motion, breath. You let out a sigh of relief. And in this thankfulness, there are so many emotions that are exhibited in that one breath as you breathe out. Happiness, maybe joy, sadness, fear, disgust, anger, trust. When we do that with our own personal experiences, let that also be a lesson that we too can have that same emotion as we deliver thankfulness to God. 
And so when we are thanking God, it's not just coming up here, putting up the words, thanks be to God, or uh, give thanks with all of your heart. We are doing it with emotion. And this is only one part when we say doing it with all your heart. Another part is using our intellect, using our mind to think about the specifics of what we are thankful for. When we're actively thinking about the attributes of God, I've mentioned this before, but I identified them because in verse 3 it says, Give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth, for you have magnified your word according to all your name. So again, the context here is we are praising God with all of our heart. We can use our minds to think through that. How do we do that? I mentioned those attributes of God. It is that he is immutable. He never changes. That he is self-sufficient. He has no needs. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is faithful. He is good. He is just. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is loving. And it goes on and on and on. And as we thank God in our intellect, we can think about the specifics of who God is to enhance our thankfulness that much more. It is emotionally, it is intellectually, but it is also spiritually. Brothers and sisters, we do need to learn how to give thanks with all of our heart. In Matthew 22, verses 3 through 7, you will hear that you shall love the Lord your God, and I know you guys know this, but you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Deuteronomy 6, 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Joshua 25, 22, 5, and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. If we don't know already, we do and we should learn how to thank the Lord, how to serve the Lord with all of our heart. And this does take work. So I ask you, just take a step back. And, and I couldn't think of a, a number of examples of it, but what is something that you actually do in life with all of your heart? Do you study maybe for a big test? I put on here, maybe prepare for a big presentation, an interview, marriage, uh, maybe work, parenting, going on a date. The idea that when we're putting in all of our effort is in the preparation is in the thought, it is anticipating of what might happen, what might happen, and to be prepared. And in all of this, this is what God has asked us to do when we thank Him, to thank Him with all of our heart. You know, I, I said that when we practice the thanksgiving, it is obviously to the Lord, but I believe that this does model for us the thankfulness that we can express to other people. You know, when you think about thanking someone with all your heart, you usually think of it of maybe the, the big things. Like if I saved your life or something like that, you might thank me with all of your heart, right? It might be temporary, but you might be thinking, oh, thank you, Chris. Thank you for saving my life. We're all good. But I think where we can practice this is, of course, we want to say thank you to one another with a true and sincerity of heart, with our emotion and what we're thinking. But also think that it can carry over even into all the little things. You know, as you go back to your friends and your family, and you say thank you, do it with your heart, right? It doesn't have to be because they saved your life, but because you helped me put the chairs back away, or you helped me pick up the trash, 
These things are a model of how we are supposed to thank the Lord, and let us do so also with the ability with one another. This is just one aspect. This helps us to be more sincere and thoughtful about it. We can look someone in the eye, and it is the first way to express true thankfulness, to be able to make it fuller and to, more, to be more substantive. Do it with a genuine heart. The second way is to give thanks verbally, to give thanks verbally. And we get this where uh, the passage says, I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will sing praises to you before the gods. Now, the psalmist gives two reasons to praise God. The one is who God is, and I mentioned a number of his characteristics, but also what God has done. If you look at verse 3, it says, On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. Now, what does this mean that I'm going to sing praises to you before the gods? We can't necessarily imagine that David actually means he's going to praise him in front of idols and images of other gods. So let me just give you a little bit of context in that. Part of the public audience for David here is the gods. Though there's a few references to the gods in Psalm 135 and 136, the Old Testament, its attitude about the gods is that it is much more dismissive. They are nothing. They are vanity. They are incapable of seeing, of hearing, of acting, of doing anything. So what's he talking about here? Well, he's basically saying this, that the nations around him, and you saw that in verses 4 through 6, but the nations think that their God is real. And so he says that, I will praise the true God in the presence of these supposed gods as a way of putting them in their place. Not only Israel will hear my praise, but so will the kings and so will the nations and the gods to whom they help. All right, so basically, as he's singing these praise, it doesn't matter if there's princes, there's kings, there are judges, there are great men, he's going to praise them, and he's going to do it in a very unusual way. He's going to do it by singing. By singing. He specifically identifies that I will sing praises, not talk praises, okay? So, what does this mean? I believe that Psalm 147.1 gives us this exact answer. It says, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant. A song of praise is fitting. So, we are not just talking about any type of singing or any song that you might happen to sing to God or you might be in the presence of God. Here, we are specifically talking about singing and songs that are good and fitting. It is good and fitting, as we actually did here today, it is good and fitting when it expresses truth that is according to or aligned with God's word. The affections are according to or aligned with God's worth. There are many times in which psalmists, they cry out in song, my, song, my tongue will sing aloud for your righteousness. I will sing of your strength. I will sing of your steadfast love. They shall sing of the ways of the Lord. My tongue will sing of your words. So why in the world are we singing to the Lord? Why don't we just talk? Jonathan Edwards provides an interesting definition. The duty of singing praises to God seems to be to wholly excite 
and to express religious affections. We do it with music because within our nature and frame, these things have a tendency to move, to express our affections. And I'll give you an example. Luke tells us that when Paul and Silas are arrested for Christ's sake in Philippi, Okay, so they're arrested. The crowd has joined in attacking them. The magistrates have beat them with rods. And after they're beaten with a bunch of rods, they're sent to prison. But after they're sent to prison, they're not just sent to any prison. They're sent into the inner depths of prison where they are chained to the ground. And listen to this in Acts 16, verses 22 to 25. Well, not the whole Acts, but just in Acts 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and here it is, singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They were singing hymns to God amidst all of this turmoil. Now, why were they singing? Yes, it was to witness for other prisoners, and they were listening, but what does singing do for us that talking does not? They needed to experience that the nearness Well, they needed to experience the nearness and the goodness and the greatness of God. That God at that moment in their turmoil was their sustainer. They experienced this thankfulness through singing. We too can express this type of thankfulness to the Lord. And we should be expressing this type of thankfulness to the Lord But I also believe that we can express it through one another as well. Now, I'm not going to go ahead and sing to you because I'm thankful for something, but I believe that it is the desire of the heart in which we can enhance our ability to say thank you by having a song or joyfulness of praise. And just in the same way, it gives us a nearness to people. It gives us a closeness to other people. It gives the words and songs, and affection that we cannot otherwise use necessarily with our words. And I think that it also applies in a beautiful lesson out of Luke chapter 17. Please turn with me there to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. And this is when Jesus heals 10 lepers. Luke 17, 11 through 19. And Jesus heals 10 lepers and gives us an excellent lesson on thankfulness. So leprosy back in the day is a disease or a bacteria that would eat away at the nerve endings of your skin. Oftentimes it was contagious, but a lot of people wouldn't be able to feel anymore, and so they wouldn't know if their body was in pain or if they needed to address something with their body. It was very dangerous. Thankfully today, we actually don't... um, Leprosy is not contagious and it's not prevalent, but back in the day it was. And so a lot of lepers, if they, were, they had leprosy, they would be uh, stuck together and they would be outcast. So in verse 11, we see how Jesus actually heals these 10 lepers. And I want you to see what happens afterwards. Verse 11, while he's on the way to Jerusalem, that is Jesus, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance, met him. They raised their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. 
All ten of them were cleansed at this point, okay? Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. Okay, so he's using his voice, he's using it verbally. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. How many of them were cleansed? There was ten, right? But how many came back? Only one. Then Jesus answered and said, in verse 17, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go, your faith has made you well. As we think about this passage, it seems very easy for us to think that we are the ones who are like the one leper who is thankful. We are the ones who are faithful to thank the Lord for all that we have. Because if you were healed of leprosy, you bet, of course, you would thank the Lord, singing praises, jumping up and down. I certainly would do that, right? But there are times in which we are guilty in our own sinfulness, in our own distractions of the world, where God has given us just something so special like being healed from leprosy, and we do act like the nine. Not always, but sometimes. So let me tell you that if you are a Christian, you know that you have been saved from the depths of hell, saved from eternal damnation, and some of the descriptions of hell are, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Thessalonians says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Hell is a place where our bodies and souls will be destroyed out of Matthew. Luke describes it as a place of torment. I describe it to my kids as a place that is pain and torture upon hours and hours and hours. And as much as pain ends here, it does not end there. It continues over and over and over. And I ask you this question, when we understand this reality and we understand this truth, are we like the one leper who is thankful each day that we don't have to face that reality? Or are we like the other nine lepers who forget to say thankful with a loud voice, with song, with praise as we are instructed to do here in this verse. My prayer, of course, is always that we will always thank God in that. And this is just an encouragement. I'm not here to accuse anybody, but it is encouragement to remind ourselves to be like that one leper, to be thankful for the God who has saved us in many of these aspects. Because when you have that, I do believe it will enhance your thankfulness as you say thank you to other people. Because you are thankful for what God has done, and that then bleeds over into the psalm and thankfulness verbally to the other people in our lives. You know, people see if you're a thankful person, right? Or they see if you're someone who likes to complain a lot. It is in your body, it's in your demeanor, and it's especially in what you say. Let us be a body that does, in fact, use our voice in psalm and praise to our God and then to other people. This is a second way to practice our gratitude and enhance true thankfulness. The third way is to give thanks physically. 
to give thanks physically. I will bow down towards your holy temple. So here, even when David was not at the temple, he recognizes it as God's appointed place for worship and sacrifice. He would worship according to God's direction. So what does the Bible actually say about bowing down? Except within the context maybe of a passage or two, it doesn't always uh, define worship specifically. However, here, God is now measuring his temple. He's using his altar, and he's going to see where or who worships there in truth. Okay, so basically, here we're the temple, and so we're being measured to see if we are truly worshiping God or not. I will bow down towards your holy temple. So a little bit of reference here is in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for worship is defined as to depress or basically to prostrate, right? To go on your knees, to prostrate in a reflexive or in an homage to the royalty of God. The Greek word defines worship as meaning to kiss or to make reverent. And then strong, it it defines it as to fawn or to crouch again, to prostrate oneself, to do reverence, to adore, and it's often associated with worship. In this spirit of thankfulness, as David is speaking in Psalm, he uses his heart, he uses his mouth, and now he is using his body to essentially bow down. It is an attitude of totally and unconditionally surrendering yourself to the Lord. Because here, the words are not enough. Worshiping then becomes an all-encompassing relationship of God, our body, characterized by bowing down in holy surrender. This does not happen unless he has a heart who is mourning for his emptiness and his sin. And as he bows down, he takes comfort in the fact that he is humbling himself and that he is comforted and saved and filled with God. Uh, A deeper study of worship will show you that it doesn't mean to we just bow down. Jesus says, worshipers worship him in vain when their heart is far, far from me. So let me just make that clear. We don't just bow down to things, okay? Your heart needs to be into it. Bowing and worshiping, they go hand in hand in the Bible in many different places. Satan, when he tries to get Jesus to worship him, what does he say? Fall down and worship him. And of course, Jesus replies, away from you. Away with you, Satan. David urges us to worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. When Abraham's servant, he's actually quite excited because a wife is found for Isaac, his son. What does he do? He worships the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Job, when he hears of horrific news to his family, his wife, he does the one thing that's very odd and people would consider weird. Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshiped. And then you'll see that in Revelation, 24 elders and four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. So why does he fall down and worship? Because it is defined for your love and faithfulness. These two words, love and faithfulness, are huge covenant words in the Old Testament. It's out of Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7, where Moses is actually trying to ask to see the glory of God and said, 
And God said, nope, that's not possible. But he does say, uh, but it does say this. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding. Here it is, loving kindness and truth. So as a side note to all of this as well, he is bowing down in worship because he also says that he is answering prayers. I called and you answered. Even if we don't see answers necessarily to our personal prayers that we think are not answers, the psalmist here directs us to praise God for his long, loving history to his people. The historical involvement has exalted the name of God because he has continued to keep his word through all generations, even up to today. So this is a little bit unusual for us because today when we go to church, we don't really bow down, right? When we worship, it's usually not embedded with the thinking that we have here that I'm going to immediately bow down, right? We live in a Western society where we say me first. We wouldn't be there caught on our knees doing anything, our culture, other cultures, they will bow down because someone is older, right? I see someone to show some side of respect. Maybe there's other religions. Uh, you've even seen Muslims where they have to have their forehead touch the ground because to them, this is a sign of respect to their God, and they do this five, ten times a day. Here, we don't do that as much. Culturally, this is not what we have accepted. However, this does not excuse our own hearts in our own thinking, from actually feeling this way. David sets this model for the, us that in the context of thanksgiving, he is bowing down. And I think he's doing it actually physically and obviously in his heart. But as we are saying thank you, as we are praising God, in our hearts and our minds, we all show should be bowing down. If you ever get on your knees, okay, or even if you do an act of actually bowing down in person, you know what it does? It humbles us, right? It really, really humbles you. I mean, it could be, what, you know, you, you get on your knees, usually it's you're proposing to somebody, or you're, you're really apologetic when you're like, I'm really, really sorry, or I'm really, really thankful. When you see someone do this physically, you think that it's much more sincere. You think that it makes that person much more genuine and believable. In this same way, our heart should have that bowing down sense of urgency to our God. Because as we bow down, we understand that God is all around us. He is so powerful that we should not even have the gall to be able to look up at him because we are sinners. And yet in his mercy, in his thankfulness, we get to, we get to practice and we get to live out what he has called us to do in the Bible. When done properly, if we truly understand worship and this attitude of a bowed-down heart in everything we do, I do believe that it could humble us so that we could practice this when we are thankful to one another. A lot of the times when you say thankful, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for that, we just say it you know, shallowly, or we just say it in passing, and we don't really think about that. As we use our bodies, as we think about that and we practice thankfulness to the Lord, I do believe that it can then incorporate and practice this thankfulness when you say it to your mother, your father, when you say thank you very much 
to your kids or whoever it might be in thankfulness for preparing this meal. This is a third way in which we can enhance our ability to be thankful to one another, asking ourselves, asking ourselves, how can we do this in a biblical way? Well, these are three ways to express true thankfulness to the Lord and learning about how we can be thankful can help us learn how to be thankful with one another. There are several times in which Jesus gives thanks throughout the gospel. One is before he feeds the 4,000, he actually gives thanks to God. And remember, the, the bread actually hasn't come out yet. The fish haven't been produced yet. He gives thanks even before all those things are coming out, okay? He gives thanks before the feeding of the 5,000 as well. He gives thanks to God when he identifies that there are hidden truths from the wise and the prudent and instead to all of us, to, to Christians. He gives thanks before raising Lazarus. And I thought even just most applicable, he gives thanks as he's sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper. And there's such a contrast here to our Thanksgiving meal, okay? When we are at the Thanksgiving supper, we usually always have a lot to be thankful for. Again, friends, family, home, sushi, garbanzo beans, running water. But Jesus gives thanks at the Last Supper, and as he expresses that gratitude, he is giving his disciples his, uh, um, the image of his body through the bread, and his blood through the wine in communion. And he says, basically, thank you. And when he's saying that, I cannot help but think that is he is thanking God, even as he says thanks in this moment, he knows that he will be betrayed, he will be arrested, he will be put on trial, falsely accused, and crucified, and experience the worst thing that anybody or anyone could ever experience, that is separation from God. And yet he still says thank you. I'm sure he does it with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with his body, and he does it with his voice. What a beautiful example that Jesus gives here. The ending of the verse 3 says, Sometime, uh, On the day I called you, answer me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. And as he said thanks, there was so much to thank God for. He knew that God had accomplished all that he had asked of him. He had preached the gospel to thousands, healed the multitudes. He had been faithful to God, to himself, to his disciples, and of course to all of mankind. Sometimes we do say thanks very casually. We do it out of routine. Sometimes we do it informally. But here in the church, where we, need to say, where we need to take every word and every thought captive, let's not take the world's definition of thanking God, but instead take the Bible definition and the Bible model as the ultimate praise and thanksgiving to God. I think that to say thank you in any other way would be flippant. To do so would be without meaning, it would be without effort, and essentially would insult our God. Let us practice and learn how to praise and say thanks with all of our soul, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, our voice, our body, and strength. 
My prayer is this will deepen our genuineness and our sincerity when we answer the question, what am I thankful for? Psalm 138, verses 1 through 3. I will give thanks, I will give you thanks with all my heart. I will sing praises to you before the gods. I will bow down toward your holy people and give thanks to your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. On the day I called you, answered me. You made me bold with strength in my soul. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for your word. Thank you, Lord, for giving us an understanding of what it is to worship you in true thanksgiving. I pray, Lord, that as we come into your word and as we come even into your house, that even as we utter the words thanks or thank you, that we do with such meaning, that when we thank you for being a great God, that we get to celebrate your characteristics and your attributes. We get to celebrate your salvation that you have provided for us, your will, your Bible, your word, your perfect plan, and that we can magnify you according to your name even as we utter those words. Thank you, Lord, for always answering us, for being faithful to your people. We give you thanks, Lord, for making us bold with strength in our souls. We don't understand why in just your own perfect plan that you have been so gracious to us in that, but we take that with such emotion, with such zeal, with such intellect, in which we can experience the glory of your grace every single day. Help us to be so appreciative of that, to be able to share that with the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.